Hello, and welcome to Technically Minded, a podcast brought to you by Credera, where we discuss hot topics in business and tech. My name is Emily Crawford, and I'm your host for today's episode. I'm part of our management consulting group at Credera US, and I focus primarily on program leadership. But today we're here to talk about product management, so I'm joined by three others, Wes, Elise, and Carlos. Would each of you please give a brief hello and a statement or two about what you do? Hey everyone, my name's Elise White. I'm a senior manager with Cordera, and I've been with Cordera for almost 10 years. I primarily specialize in program and project management, and I actually started my career out in our technical consulting practice. Hi, I'm Wes Olis, uh, senior manager here with Cordera in management consulting as well. Um, similar to Elise, uh, working on program project management. I'm actually a Cordera Boomerang, so I started with Cordera in 2016 in the Microsoft practice doing C-sharp development, left to go out and do product management, which is the topic for today, and came back to uh, bring product management to the firm and work with the great product minds that we have here, so happy to be here. We're glad you did. Carlos? Yeah, so my name is Carlos Rodriguez. I am a manager in our management consulting practice. I've uh, been here for a little bit more than five years. Like Elise, I started in our technical consulting practice, so was a software developer um, for you know all intents and purposes. Uh, and then a few years ago, I transferred into our management consulting practice. And then specifically to this conversation, the last couple of years, I've had various different product roles, uh, and I'm excited to get into our conversation today. Thank you all for being here. Really appreciate it. So today we want to talk about product management. So first off, tell me why should I care about product management? Now that, that's a great question. And so, you know, why are people here? Why, why are you listening? Organizations, at the end of the day, you know, regardless of organization type, is in the business to make money. You need revenue. You need to be profitable. And how do you get that? Clients pay for something that solves a pain point for them, that gives them value. And so, organizations exist to deliver products or services to end users to generate revenue. And the hard fact is, similar to you know new restaurant openings, new product failures are, are you know more the rule, not the exception. And so, it's not simple to build a product. If it was easy, you wouldn't have so many firms out there that offer software development looking for other people's ideas and saying, okay, what can we build for you? They would go out and build those ideas. It's cultivating and managing these ideas, taking those ideas to market and being successful. That's actually the difficult thing to do. And so, you need to know what to build not necessarily how to build it. And so you need to solve those problems. You need to offer solutions that are important enough that customers will pay for them. Product management encompasses this. And I like to think of it as, it's not building the product right, but it's building the right product. Yeah, I think that's a really great point, Wes. One thing that always comes to mind to me is that any firm or company that shows up and says, hey, my strategy is to make more money, right? I want to make revenue. It's like, great, you, you and everybody, right? Um, it's not enough to build a product strategy off of just wanting more revenue. It's like, really, what are the innovative ideas in our marketplace that will make us better than our competitors? And then actually going in and saying, how do we measure it to make sure that what we are investing in is actually creating impact? Carlos, is there anything else you would add to how you would describe product management? Yeah, so I would slice it and dice it in a few different ways. Uh, product management, uh, what is a product, right? A, a product is a, a piece of software that solves some 
problem, some issue for uh, a customer, right? And, and more importantly, perhaps we have to think about it, um, a, a product that is as something that is living and breathing, right? And, and so the, the, the moment that a product becomes stale, it, it becomes ripe for um, competition or some other market force uh, taking it over or, or wiping it out. Right, and so we have to think about this uh, as a living, breathing product. Therefore, we need somebody like a product manager to stay on top of this product, its features, the analytics, and reporting that roll up into it. They are responsible for that product staying alive, right? J just like the BGs, uh, and, and so um, it's a strategic position. It, it requires clear and effective communication. Um, and, and it requires somebody that's driven and, and focused on it. Um, I'll, I'll offer just a, maybe a couple more illustrations on what exactly a product manager might be. Um, a lot of product management books say it's like a mini CEO, uh, right? It, it, maybe at the end of the day, there's not exactly a, a lot that a product manager can point to uh, in terms of their deliverables, right? There's a lot of product documentation. Hey, this is what this feature is going to look like. This is the effect. Um, but their most important role is to stand at the intersection of finance, development, design, analytics, uh, and, and to make sure that all uh, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. And in terms of there's no blockers, you know, everything that needs to happen for this product, this feature to get rolled out uh, are taking place. Uh, and, and the other illustration would be, you know, perhaps air traffic control, right? They um, they aren't flying the plane. They, they aren't, um, you know, loading the luggage. But Without an air traffic controller, the whole thing kind of falls apart. They are making sure that the right people are at the right time doing uh, the right thing. Uh, and without a product manager, um, it, it can be kind of, uh, you know, the blind leading the blind, the deaf leading the deaf, you know. Uh, and, and so without a product manager, a, a lot of development teams, a lot of companies can, can be just completely unmoored. Yeah, I like that, Carlos. You know, I, I like to think of it as people think of product management and sometimes they might go to what actual – uh, product owner does, or maybe what a scrum master does. Product managers aren't necessarily out there gathering the requirements. They're gathering thoughtful analysis of problems. And then they bring them back to the smart people in the organization, or what I like to call it, right? The builders, the doers, mm -hmm. the engineers. And so, you know, it, we're out there looking into the market and working with customers and looking for insights and then taking that back to the business and then bringing those to the people to cultivate them into actual products. And I think what's most important about that too is nobody's perfect. You're not gonna get everything right the first time. And so you need to shift and you need to sort of place your chips in certain areas and then move those bets around as you gather data and further analysis on what the market's telling you. Yeah, Wes, that, that's a great point. Uh, just one more thing that I'll add on. Um, quite often venture capital VC firms uh, won't invest in a product, uh, won't invest in a startup unless there is a great product mind behind it. That, that is to say that there isn't somebody who's thinking about the analytical perspective, the finance perspective, the technical perspective, all into one, uh, because otherwise th this could be doomed to failure. The, this idea, this feature could be doomed to failure. If you've just got a bunch of individuals talking finance uh, or talking uh, analysis or um, engineering, you could be missing a different side of the coin. Um, this this multi-sided um, thing that we're talking about um, being a product. And, and that's very similar about how we should be thinking about um, product management and how we're taking that to our clients. You know, is there um, leadership? Is there an individual that is thinking about this living, breathing product and trying to take it to the next level? Uh, otherwise, 
they're going to have a really hard time successfully pushing out ideas um, that are ultimately going to solve the problems uh, of our consumers. You know, you made some good points there too. You know, I, I liken this to early in my career. I worked in oil and gas for you know manufacturing companies, so this isn't even necessarily software. Same same thing applies, and you know they're engineers with brilliant ideas. I mean, just you know patents right and left for something that's super cool, but in the end, it didn't make a difference in the market. We leveraged or hemorrhaged, you know, millions of dollars, tens of millions of dollars, you know, just depending on sort of what this idea was without a concept of, is a customer willing to buy it? Is there a market for it? Is this solving something? And in oil and gas, typically that's, can I drill a well faster? Is it saving me time? Is it saving me money? Is it making my people safer? And it, again, may have been a really great idea. The engineer's not wrong to come up with this concept, but if you're building before you realize if the market's ready to want it, they don't necessarily care about great ideas. They'll pat you on the back for it, but not gonna hand you any money for it. And so I think your VC sample is a good example of that, where if I'm gonna step in and I'm gonna fund something, again, you may have a great idea, but if that idea does not make money, that's the be all end all, right? Every company, like Elise said, hey, we wanna make money. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of product management too, is just being willing to be wrong. I think a lot of times companies will have a fear of failure or kind of a culture of fear within their organization. But the fact of the matter is, you're going to take leaps and bounds and guesses about where the market's going to go or where your competitors are going to go, or even what your clients and customers are going to want, and you can be wrong. And so recognizing, hey, when have we invested enough into this idea to prove failure and recognize that this has failed, like fail fast, adjust, iterate, move on, take your data and your learnings and apply it to something new. And that can be really challenging for different folks and different organizations. Well, you have to have the culture to fail, right? And I think yeah. you make a good point there that if you're scared to fail, you're going to keep going and even though if you know it doesn't feel right the market's not telling you it's right you're going to keep chugging along because you're worried about failing it's not bad to fail right at that first organization i mentioned towards the end we started actually having irish wakes for product ideas and things that we sort of killed off instead of didn't commercialize and you're like why would you do that well in the end of the day we saved the company money because we didn't go down a rabbit hole that wasn't going to be lucrative at the end of the day and at the same time we learned and we adjusted. And so that should be celebrated, right? And so it's just a change of mindset and change of philosophy. You learn from being wrong. You're not going to be right every time. Chances are you're going to be wrong most of the time. As long as you learn quickly and iterate and you have the data to support that, it's okay to be no. And I think in product management, a lot of times you're that one that has to be that person that's like, hey, we're all excited. We have a really great idea. We want to go out and build this. Maybe you have to sort of say, well, the data doesn't support that, right? I don't, I don't think this is the path that we should head down. And that's okay. Someone needs to advocate for that product to make sure it's going to be successful. And saying no is, is not a bad thing. Absolutely. So that's really great. Thanks for the clarification. And just to crystallize it a little bit further, I am a project manager. I'm a program manager. What makes me different from a product manager? That's a really good question, Emily. So for me, project management is really about taking a project through to the end, making sure your project stays on time, within scope, delivered within budget. And then really, in a lot of times, that's how we define success for a project and success for a project manager. Did you meet your objectives? Did you meet your objectives within the defined scope or timeline? Like product management is more strategic in how you approach what you're trying to do. It's almost like a research project. You're coming up with an idea and then you're testing it out. 
For that type of work, your success metrics aren't necessarily, hey, did I complete this thing till fruition? To Wes's point earlier, your project could fail and failure in that case can mean success because it meant that we didn't invest in something that wouldn't have been valuable for our company in the long run. And so the type of skill sets needed for a product manager are much more analytical to me. And then also having that creative kind of flair to it as well to look into the marketplace and say, hey, like, where is this going? How can I apply innovative ideas to my culture and my company to really take us a step further and take us one step above even our competition, right? And so recognizing that hey, yes, we've done that, or no, we haven't, and we need to adjust. Yeah, Lisa, that's a great point. Uh, something I would kind of tack onto that, a different uh, different way to think about this paradigm is product management versus project management and, and how that reflects kind of within ind individual organizations. Um, so think of a, a project uh, managed organization uh, tends to be a little bit more top down, right? Uh, think of, you know, a, a director of technology saying, hey, this is a new feature that we're going to roll out. This is the next big thing. Um, oftentimes, hey, this is something that we're seeing a competitor do and they're eating into our market share. And that is handed down to individual product managers who then have to run with it. Um, if you think about uh, a, a different way about that is, is product management, right? So these initiatives tend to be a little bit more um, say called middle out or bottom up, right? These ideas come from product managers who are embedded within teams and have a good idea of, of um, trends over time and the analysis. Uh, they, they probably have a good idea of, of reviews of, you know, applications or platforms that their users uh, are dealing with, uh, interacting with on a daily basis. So the, these ideas tend to be a little bit more well-rounded and tend to have more buy-in from the wider organization as opposed to just, you know, kind of that project managed, which can be born handed down to you. And so a really important part of it is, right, having a strong product um, manager who, who is thinking about all the different sides uh, of a product and a piece of software. Uh, but uh, perhaps just as important is the way the organization is thinking about it. Are we product managed or are we project managed? Uh, and that can really affect the types of things that we are delivering uh, to our consumers. Great points, uh, Elise and Carlos. I, I think also just to put a cap on it as well is, you know, projects are, are finite, right? There's a, a fixed end, uh, there's a duration to them, which is part of their KPIs and how they're measured, where a product really goes through a product life cycle, right? That's part of the product manager, what they're gonna manage and, and crossing that chasm and commercializing it, and getting it into the different phases, right? And then at some point, it may be time to kill that product and start up something new. Um, but, you know, there, there isn't a, a fixed definition. The market is gonna tell you, the data is gonna tell you, the revenue is gonna tell you what that life cycle is. And so you need somebody that's on board for that, for that entire journey, and then potentially the journey after that, and the rebirth and what comes next, as opposed to a project where people complete one project, finish it, everything's on time and on budget, that's a success. Well, a product could be on time and on budget, hit the market, nobody buys it. That's not a success, the, the metrics are different. And in the end, a project team picks up, moves on, goes to the next project. That's totally fine, that's how projects work. But in a product, you're not gonna determine when it's gonna start and when it's gonna end. So we've talked a little bit about um, the, the product manager role. Can you tell me a little bit more about the skills that it takes to be a product manager? What makes a product manager successful? 
Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I think having just a flair of creativity is really important when it comes to being a product manager. You need to have an eye for future casting and looking at the different markets and how things are going to impact your organization and your organization's strategic goals for that year or even the five-year plan. Uh, the ability to make a guess and point the company in the direction of a guess is a really interesting skill set that some people don't have and that's okay. But then in addition to that, you need to have an analytical skill set. You need the ability to look at things through the eyes of data and not emotion, frankly, uh, to look at what the revenue is saying, to look at what your clients are saying, what your customers are saying, to analyze that data and say, was my guess directionally correct or not? And the ability to be wrong and willingness to be wrong can be a, a challenge for folks as well. So for me, those are two of the big skill sets that I like to see in a good product manager. That's great. So I'll shameless plug here. Uh, I've got a blog that I'm writing and it, it is basically the traits of a successful product manager, right? And so I outlined it in five very long-winded paragraphs and just summarize it quickly here. Uh, you've got to have deep knowledge of customers, data, uh, the business at large, the market and the industry, and then the tech. Uh, I think it is very much worth calling out here. We've got you know, three, we'll call ourselves experts uh, on product management, and you have three individuals who have technical backgrounds, right? Uh, and, and so in a lot of ways, a product manager is a jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, I, I have played in a design role. I've played in a tech role. I've played in an analytics role. I won't pretend to be fantastic at all of those, uh, but when it comes time to you know product manage, to write a story, to be able to go to a designer and say, hey, this needs to look like this. I, I know that you have this much time and this much uh, availability. Can we make this happen? Uh, same type of conversation has to happen uh, with a development team, and you know, same type of conversation might have to happen with finance. Right? We we have limited budget. We've got limited time. How can we take the limited resources that we've got? Uh, and, you know, go move this product forward in that way. That's a great point. You know, one of the analogies someone told me was, you know, good product managers are chameleons. And what he meant by that was, I was kind of taken aback when he first told me that, was he said they can blend in any room with any audience that they're speaking with. I thought that was interesting because like callers are saying, you're kind of jack of all trades, master of none, but you're jack of all trades to a level where you can speak the language of a software developer. You don't have to know the code in and out, right? You don't have to necessarily write the code, but when you understand it, when you can go to marketing and figure out how to launch your product and what type of collateral and launch plan you're gonna have, pricing, you know, getting in with your sales teams, there's just so many things that you need to be that glue. And like we were talking about earlier when you mentioned CEO of a product, yeah, in a way, but you're a servant leader. You typically have no direct resources. So how do you do that? You lead. And then how do you compel those people to help you? You speak their language, right? You're advocating for the product and therefore bringing those people with you to make sure it's successful. Like Elise was talking about earlier with some of the traits, I mean, it's not for everybody, right? You have to be comfortable with ambiguity. You have to be comfortable with not having direct resources and owning a product and you can't fall in love with it, right? Because it is a baby, it's hard sometimes, right? That's what you want, you want to succeed, but you have to listen to what the data is telling you. And so. I think what you just said, Carlos, is, is really a good point that you know, we all do come from technical backgrounds. I, I find it easier sometimes to come that way and move, but you can come from other areas. You just have to sharpen up on areas you may not be uh, you know, as equipped in. For me, that's marketing. So I'm always trying to work on that a little bit more. 
I, I couldn't pass up the opportunity, Wes, to say that you've got to be able to call the the baby ugly, right? You've got to be able to say like, oh man, I spent a lot of time, a lot of you know my organization's money on this, but it it is to the point where we have proven this out and it is no longer viable. Let's like to your point earlier. Let's let's call it dead, right? And, and move on. Uh, that's a, an especially important skill. And and there's one other thing I, w- I wanted to kind of touch on. You said being able to speak it, the languages of, of all your teams, right? Uh, I I am a management consultant now with a technical background, and that makes me you know particularly dangerous, call it, uh, in more technical conversations. And it is immensely helpful. Um, just when you're talking, you know, APIs and Kafka topics and and whatever else, it is immensely helpful to be able to walk into those conversations and, and actually contribute and not just throw your arms up and say, I'm not technical. Um, if there are any up and coming management consultants, you are never allowed to say that. Uh, you are only ever allowed to say, oh, I'm not up to speed on that. Let me do a little bit of reading and get back to you. Right. That that is the mindset of a product manager. You know, I'm not up to speed on it. I don't know everything I need to at this moment. But let me, you know, do a little bit of research, do some reading, and I'll get back to you. I was gonna say, Carlos, I, I too feel dangerous at times. <laughs> no, in in all seriousness, I, I think a lot of it kind of comes from that scientific background of removing emotion from the equation. I can't tell you how many times I've gone into a conversation with somebody who has owned something thoroughly for a long time and has worked within a specific industry or company for a long time, a product for a long time, and they will say day in, day out, no, this is what our customers want. I feel like this is the right direction. I feel like this is what they want. And you just have to take a step back and ask, okay, but like, what is the data telling you? Is the data also backing up those emotions and those feelings? And it's a hard conversation to have at times, but when you can actually pull on threads like A-B testing or other kind of MarTech attributes where you can go in and say, okay, well, let's let's verify that assumption, right? And then it it's not about like you being right or wrong. It's about learning something new and then using that data to to be dangerous and make a new decision moving forward. Yeah, I've seen it kind of both ways. <clears throat> and I think what's interesting too is, um, you know, especially smaller organizations, they might anchor on something to build with one specific client, right? Or they're just looking at a certain subset of client. You really have to divvy up that market and ensure that it's gonna be sustainable and viable. And so I've seen a lot of folks in, in industries I've been in and companies I work for who maybe anchor on a certain archetype of the market, right? And build to that and then not realize that it's not gonna expand into the rest of the market. A similar thing can happen with sales, right? You, you work with sales folks, great people to work with. Favorite thing to do when I was a product manager, tag along sales calls, because I'm not actually trying to sell anything, I'm just trying to listen. I'm trying to collect ideas, figure out what the competition's doing, what are the customer's pain points, what could we, what could we build that you would wanna buy, right? Because through objections, you learn from that. And so you wanna hear a lot, um, win-loss deals, right? Why did we lose that deal? Why did we win that deal? You have to analyze all this stuff. But I think what's interesting with the sales folks sometimes is you get this massive client and they're like, I need you know, A through Z features. Mm-hmm. And the salesperson comes in and says, okay, you gotta build A through Z. Well, I only have so many resources. If that doesn't get me Pareto in the market, if I can't hit 80% with 20% of the effort, you know, or some 
combination thereof, I might spend 100% of my effort selling to one client and A through Z doesn't make sense for the rest of the market. And so I think it's an interesting balance you have to play of is you have to sample as much of the market as you can and not anchor on any one specific client, no matter how big or large they are. Wes, I will add one thing to that. Um, I think we have all probably used some piece of software, whether it's on our phones or on our computer, that just sucked, right? And, and you can just think to yourself, what was the team that built this thinking, right? They, they, In all honesty, they were probably missing a product manager, somebody who had the foresight to cut up their target market, to think about actual use cases uh, and decide to move forward or not on a product, right? I, th I think we can all think of, you know, that, that one terrible iPhone or Android app that was just miserable to use was on our phone for all of 10 minutes before we deleted it and said it wasn't worth our time. Um, and so I, I feel like we can't neglect the consumer side of this, right? You know, we, we can we can cut this in so many different ways from the, the business consultant perspective. And obviously we have to think about our our consumers there and users as well. And you know, the, the other half of that is sometimes we hit our goals way before we think we would, right? And so we talk about, you know, draining our money or draining our investments that we have to put into a product and ending up with something that nobody likes or nobody uses and just completely missing the mark. But there are times where marketing or sales will come to a product team and say, no, we need A through Z to call this even MVP, right? To release something to market, like we have to have this minimal set of stuff and the minimal set ends up being a list of 150 features long. And you have to say, what, like, what is the ROI? Like what's the goal for this new feature or new product or whatever we're trying to add to our portfolio? And if we hit that ROI at feature G or M, do we really need to drain all the way to feature Z? And so if you have those methodologies in place at your client and your company to say, hey, these were our goals and we hit them even before what we thought MVP was, then you're saving some money to move forward and do something new and something different. That's a great point. I think we've focused a lot on kind of killing a feature set early if it's not working, right? But the alternative is true too, right? You might meet your goals early and not even have to invest that. So I love that. Thanks for the clarification. Well, it, it's obvious that all of you are very passionate about this topic. So thank you for sharing sharing your thoughts with us today. But I would love to ask, what makes you passionate about this topic? Elise, do you want to tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I would love to. Honestly, for me, especially being a consultant in different industries and different companies, uh, the ability to come in and ensure that what we're working on within a client and a company is something that is actually adding value is huge. Um, you know, we never want to come in and just spend time on something because someone asked us to. Uh, we want to make sure that when we're investing in somebody that we're actually delivering something that is going to be valuable to them long term. And to that end, it's been really fascinating to see some of the different methodologies that have come out recently, especially around the idea of de design sprints and going in and spending a week just flushing out an idea that a company has or even using that framework to develop a set of ideas and then prioritizing them against, hey, where do we believe the value add to be here given the data and the metrics that we have accessible to us? Um, and then we've even seen some clients come in and ask, to help them develop methodologies and frameworks internally so that they have kind of the tools to, to fish for themselves long-term, if you will, uh, to analyze different ideas they may come up with even after we leave. 
So my perspective is very similar to Elise, right? I, I've been in consulting. I've been at Credera for uh, five plus years at this point. Um, and the most exciting part of, you know, I'll say consulting first is getting m many different perspectives, right? So I've worked at, you know, media companies. I've worked at tech companies. I've worked shipping and logistics. Um, I've worked in the restaurant industry, right? And then and that's all within a five-year window, all within a single job. Uh, which, which is really cool. Uh, and something that Credera prides ourselves in is uh, coming alongside of our uh, our clients and having more long-term partnerships, right? We've got a uh, really high retention rate uh, for our clients, and that involves coming alongside them and solving their biggest issues. And, you know, sometimes that starts, you know, something really minor. Oh, you know, I've got this thorn in my side. I need help, you know, bringing this along. And then that blossoms into something much larger, uh, which is, you know, a joy to, to see, to, to build, you know, one, that kind of one-on-one -on -one relationship with somebody at the client, but then seeing something, you know, kind of spring to life. Um, and so that that's one reason why I, I really love product development, right, is you get to see lots of different sides uh, of the business. And the next part of it would be really cool things happen when product development is set up correctly. Um, you get these ideas that that do come from um, product managers that are built together with multiple different um, perspectives in mind, right? And so no longer is an email getting forwarded from a senior VP all the way down to a team telling somebody, hey, go do this. But it's teams being proactive and innovating on really awesome ideas and you know ideas that they've had for a really long time but just haven't been surfaced, haven't gotten to the right level quite yet. And you get to see those those teams really take ownership of the products that they own and get to bring them to life and get to see uh, those things, you know, they work on them all day long, may not get to use them much, but they get to see their, you know, blood, sweat and tears come to life um, kind of in a product. And so um, coming in and helping our clients set up a product development methodology, a way that they can empower their teams, a way that they can encourage their teams and say, hey, we'd love to see your ideas. We'd love to see these sorts of things happen within our product so that we've got something really awesome, something that we're proud of um, that, that you can build. Wes, what about you? Yeah, so for me, you know, I started off in oil and gas and worked eight years and kind of got into product manager without knowing it and really enjoyed it. And kind of once I started realizing I was doing it, I lacked for the technical knowledge and so started being technically minded, pun intended, <laughs> and um, learning, you know, programming. And I came to Cordera and, and was a developer and realized maybe I don't really want to be a developer, but I love knowing technology and I love being in the code. I, you don't necessarily have to be, but... I just like keeping up with technology. It's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing, just like products are, just like markets are. I mean, if you look at some of the things, you know, from, from the past that fascinates me is if the 800-pound gorilla always won, every PC we had would be Microsoft. Nokia would still be our smartphone, right? It took, you know, a company like Apple and Steve Jobs coming out and revolutionizing through design to, to take both markets and capitalize on that. And that's true with a lot of things. You know, Kodak actually invented... The digital camera and they killed it because they said what's it going to do to our film business well what happened because of that decision right and so it's fascinating to really think about the implications that product management has and i look back at it and its history actually started in, in 1931 came from procter and gamble initially and that gentleman uh mr mcelroy ended up teaching at stanford where um hewlett and packard uh, ended up learning product management, but it came from what they called brand men. Um, think about, you know, the old uh, Mad Men days, if you will, in advertising, but it, it was people that didn't just represent the business and, and the business as a whole, but a specific brand or product. 
And I just thought that's fascinating. You know, you you own that, and that that is yours, and that's one life cycle. That's multiple life cycles. So who's going to create that new vision out there for the future? And having done that, and then you know, working at Cordera, I, I set off to do that myself. And those are some of my most proud moments, both the you know the ugly babies and the pretty ones. Um, but having worked at a firm that was owned by private equity, selling it to another firm owned by private equity for more you know multiple because of more revenue we made through products. To helping a founder-led business sell into private equity as well, um, just by moving our product from you know on-prem to the cloud and adding new features that the clients ask for, and so I think now it's I'm at that point in my career where I've I've done it, and it's not a, a road that's paved right because there's no degree, there's certifications out of product management, but they're they're different right. It's it's sort of fluid in what it is, and so I feel like I've learned a lot from people in my career. At this point, I'd like to help businesses do the same. And that's going out and figuring out, okay, what, what are we going to do next? You may be super successful now, but can you rest on your laurels? Is that product you have today that's your cash cow going to be your future of tomorrow? Uh, no, it's going to have to change, right? It's going to have to evolve. And so I think constantly being on a lookout, constantly being aware, whether you're at the top of the mountain today or the bottom, doesn't really matter because it can flip-flop in a matter of time. It's going in with our clients and looking at your market. What are those market problems, right? What is your win-loss analysis? What do your competitors look like? Uh, focusing, building a product roadmap, right? 18, 24 months, you should always have a, a pretty high level, 50,000 foot view of what it is you're gonna do and what you wanna do. Um, distribution strategies, you know, market definition, but business plans, profitability, pricing, I mean, all this plays into product and it's things that, you know, again, we kinda wanna uh, teach a business to fish instead of fish for them. The, these ideas belong in the business themselves and for an advocate that lives in that business and is gonna be along for the entire product life cycle of that. And so that's why important that we kind of want to go out there, educate our clients on how to use these tools, how to figure out these processes, but at the same time, set them up for success so they can be um, here for today, but also here for the future. Good word. We do, we do have to wrap it up here in just a little bit. So I'm going to ask each of you, if you could leave organizations who might be listening or any of our listeners with one last thing on the topic of product management, what would you leave, leave them with? I think for me, uh, the one thing I would ask folks to really consider as they approach product management would be the data. Listen to the data, look for the data, trust the data. I love it. Wes, what about you? You know, I'll go back to kind of what we talked about earlier and, you know, failure is okay. Saying no is okay. You don't have to go down the same path, hemorrhage money. You know, it's a sunk cost at a certain point, right? And so instead of throwing money to fix a problem, look back at the data, like Elise said, Figure out, do you need to change course? Do you need to change trajectory? That's fine. Change it as early as possible because then you can shift that, recover a lot of possible money you would have spent going down the wrong rabbit hole and then end up in the right place that you need to be. And lastly, just constantly engage with your clients, any avenue that you have, not just sales, open up areas of engagement, solicit feedback from your clients. The worst thing you can do is not listen to your clients. The second worst thing you can do is listen to them and not take any action on that mm. feedback. But the best thing you can do is they're the ones using your software, right? Yeah. And so if you can eat your own dog food, use your own products for sure, but stay in touch with your clients because they are on the next what that's gonna be, right? They know the competition, they know what the expectations are. That's where a lot of your greatest ideas will come from. And so build strong partnerships, have avenues to get their feedback very easily. And again, don't be afraid to fail, don't be afraid to say no. Thanks, Wes. Carlos? I would say uh, to you know 
potential clients or other organizations listening, if you could democratize the way that you come up with ideas for your products, take advantage of that. Uh, the individuals, whether that's analytics team members, designers, uh, or developers, are the ones that are spending the most time, maybe only aside from consumers, uh, in your products. They know the ins and outs. They know the issues. They know what's going right, what's going wrong. They know what they can quickly implement uh, and quickly roll back. Uh, and if you can create these novel ideas, these organic ideas from within your organization, uh, then that's something definitely you should take advantage of, right? You can easily tap into uh, untold resources for brainstorming sessions and say, hey, team, would love to tap the ideas that you've got and eventually get it into the product because a lot of really great organic ideas are going to come from those individuals. And unfortunately, that will have to do it for today's conversation. A big thank you to Elise, Wes, and Carlos for joining me today to talk about product management. I know that I've learned a lot about not only what it is, but also what it isn't, and I'm sure our listeners have too. And listeners, if you want to check out that blog that Carlos mentioned or find out more about this topic in general, make sure to go to our insights page on Cordera.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us for another episode of Technically Minded. Technically Minded.